This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Do your part to reduce waste and recycle right. Many of us are ordering more items, such as food and other goods, delivered to our homes. More packages means more waste. Consolidate smaller orders into one larger order to reduce waste. When shopping in person, bring a reusable bag. Recycle right by keeping plastic bags, foam containers, rechargeable batteries, and garden hoses out of your recycling bin. Learn more at GoRecycle.org. Brought to you by Prince William County, District of Columbia, and American Disposal Services. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Sixteen weeks in the books. The Ravens just won this past Saturday, twenty-three to sixteen over the Colts. So it's time for film study with Ken McCusick to talk about that, as well as look forward to this week's game with the Bengals. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm getting. I'm starting to get excited for this game uh, this Sunday with the game for all the marbles and. Uh, the players came out yesterday and today, I guess, starting to talk about how exciting this game is and how this game really defines the season. Yeah, it sure does. And, and the Ravens have not often lost these sorts of games. 
where they where they just did not get it done in the final week, and that cost them a playoff spot. They've uh, they've had several. They've won. They won at Oakland in 2009. They won against Jacksonville in 2008 on the final day of the se- on the final day of the season. They won to seal up a bye in 2006. I'm trying to think back. 2001, they won on the final Monday of the year versus Minnesota in a big game. Uh, so they, they've had their share of these, and they've uh, they generally come through in these in these games. Yeah, and this game, we can say it means a whole lot because it's playoffs or not. But doesn't this really more mean of this team, whether they get on the playoffs or not, really defines what this team is and how you handle the coaching staff in this offseason where there was lots of talk in the early season and mid-season about a time for a change isn't aren't we still kind of living on this game to define whether or not it is time for a change i mean i think there's a there's some truth to that the ravens certainly would i believe consider a change if this coaching staff could not pull the team together to win this game. It, it'd be a pretty big game to lose at home to a Bengals team, which is banged up and not that great to begin with. They have a lot of problems on the offensive line, which we'll talk a little bit about as we go through this. But, uh, but you know, this is a team that, that the Ravens really ought to beat. They're a big favorite against them. And I think, yes, you're right. If they don't pull it off, I think they're, that all the coaches should be afraid for their jobs. Right. Now, there is... There is still the chance the Ravens could lose this game, and they still have a high chance of getting into the playoffs. And because of that, the NFL made a lot of, I think there was five total games they moved this week into this 425 start. Um, they got rid of the Sunday night game, which is crazy that they were even trying to play a Sunday night game against New Year's Eve. Uh, I'm already, I'm glad I'm not going to the game on, on Saturday, on Sunday, because I would already be annoyed if I was a Ravens uh, season ticket holder having to go downtown in Baltimore on New Year's Eve at 4.30 and then when I'm leaving have to deal with all that traffic of people coming into town. Sure, yeah. I mean, there are traffic concerns. I guess the another alternative would have been to move all the games to noon or something like that, but uh, you know, they have their slots for TV. I don't think they can really mess with that given the contracts they have, so it's really a question of one or four. They went with four o'clock. It's the fairest thing to do, and to all the fans, I've got this to say, and then a little analogy that goes with this. If you made Christmas Eve plans, sorry, New Year's Eve plans, right, and you knew a Ravens game was going on, what were you thinking? Like you know, there's certain days of the year you have to work. You you understand that the Thursday before the the every regular season, they, the Orioles are never allowed to have a game on that day. That, that's an that's an off day for Baltimore baseball from now on. I think we'll agree. And you all you expect it out of other people, but just. My God, I mean, the best tweet I heard about this was one I want to repeat if I can find this. and I, I'll search around for it if I need to. But basically the guy said, I'm all in whenever the game is, New Year's Eve day, uh, you know, Wednesday Eve or your mama's Eve, and uh, I'm in whenever they play it. I hear you, but I, I disagree because they're already having trouble getting the stadium full. And when you're, when you're trying to balance all these other reasons – to go or not go to the game, you don't want to throw in another game of New Year's Eve. For many people, it was maybe, okay, I, I got the tickets because the game was at 1 o'clock. I could have been home in plenty of time to take the wife out for New Year's Eve. Now that's sketchy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the last-minute shift, then the fact that they waited until the day after Christmas Day on Monday to to announce that this Sunday's game has been changed, 
they could have announced this two weeks ago. They could have announced, they, especially the Sunday night game, to take away that. I don't know why it took them all the way until the Monday before to realize, oh, we accidentally scheduled against New Year's Eve. Well, I don't think that they didn't have a realization about that. I think they would have liked to have a game then, but there is no game that meets the competitive needs of the league to be played at 8 o'clock. So I think they were trying to have one. You know, It would have been a bad thing to have the Steelers and Browns playing at that time. You know, you have an 0-16 team and a good rivalry right. in theory. It wouldn't have been a bad game to stick at, stick at 8 o'clock. But they can't, they can't stick any playoff implication game there because everything is tied into everything else. So, all right, and exactly, and... Isn't the real reason why all these games are 4.30 is because of gamblers? Because they can make a whole, there's a lot more uh, riding on these games if they play them at 4.30, so then there's no meaningless games? I, I don't think it's gambling. I think it's competitive concerns of the league. I mean, I don't think, I don't think you want to set it up so that one team can decide they want to bail on the game for a draft pick afterwards or that they have an extra reason to play hard for the game or or that a team has made the playoffs before a four o'clock game maybe even by the first half result and will rest all of their good players so i think you want to you want to keep the it's not just this week it's the playoff week as well i mean i just come back to the same thing is you knew you knew this was a flex scheduling week and it's what we hope for is to be flexed to four o'clock on this particular day it's what we hope for. That means we're a playoff contender. If we'd won the division, that'd be even better. But but to be flexed into this spot, I think, is really what the Ravens fans ought to have wanted. And I, I, I get that. Um, but I've got to understand the other side of the NFL has had a problem this year with fans, especially with attendance, that Dick Cass sent, in, sent a letter out to the PSL owners two weeks ago about how, hey, fans, you she really should show up. We really need you there. So to make something like this that's kind of – anti not anti-fan but but makes it even tougher on the fans it isn't the best look i'm i don't disagree with that either it's just i think that the competitive needs of the league have to come first and they're very it's very i mean we'd be we'd be pissed if any four o'clock team got an advantage over us in terms of knowing what they had to do to be in the playoffs or not we'd be completely pissed about it so right. it's not it's it's I, I have to be understanding in both directions. And I, and I understand that. And one of my favorite things that Major League Baseball did is game 162 for every single team is at the exact same time. Right. Would, would that have helped? If they put 4 o'clock on the original schedule, would that yes. have helped? Because every, every Ravens fan should understand 4 o'clock is the most likely time for that game right. if they're in playoff. The, the, the difference is that it was just called on Mo- that it was just shifted on Monday. They could have done this ahead of time. The, the big, it's not the time as much as it's the given the notice of selling tickets at 1 o'clock and then less than a week ahead of time telling people, hey, it's now 4 o'clock on a day that you probably had evening plans. Yeah, you um, might have. And I, I, I understand that. And they could have moved it to 12 days in advance and it would have been a broader set of teams that were still involved. So like Oakland would have had to move to 4 o'clock if they're not already then and other teams that were in it right. a week ago. But it, I, I, I get what you're saying. I'm not sure. The result would have been the same for Baltimore fans. It would have been a 4 o'clock game, just a little, little more notice in terms of right. being able the, to... The difference is Major League Baseball has put it on their schedule that this is how it is. Mm-hmm. And I, part of me says, all right, if you really want to do this, if the most important thing for the NFL is competitiveness, then you just schedule week 17, everyone across the league plays at 3 o'clock. The I, problem I think is would... TV, TV schedules, and the Red Zone channel would do really, really well during that time, but you've got to, you, Fox and CBS contracts are, are holding that up as well. 
Yeah, I think they would have to figure out how to flex some games to 1 o'clock right. from 4 o'clock. But that might be less disruptive to people. They they wouldn't mind having an earlier game flexed into, especially for a bad team. So, yeah, I, I, could, I could see it the other way. I think that would be another way to do it. But I think a lot of it comes down to you don't really want to play at 4 o'clock no matter what on New Year's Eve. And all mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you is it was preordained that this was going to happen if the Ravens are going to be good. And in September, if you were asked the question, do you mind playing a 4 o'clock game if the Ravens are good? You just said in a heartbeat, yes. Now that it's coming at the last second, right. you, you don't like it. Right, I, and I, with, I, it, with it being the Jaguars and the Chiefs, you could have made all those games 1 o'clock, but the real the real guy in here is the Chargers game out west. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the one that messes it up. So you either have to put tar- the Chargers and play them at 10 a.m. in the west, which would be grossly unfair. Yeah, uh, I don't know. We've we've had to play nine a.m. games London. with London, yeah. so they they've shown that they haven't minded morning games. Right, it's it's not a morning local game ever, but uh, but you're right. But they, they not or what the what the easy way to do going forward is week seventeen. You don't get a time slot, and week seventeen is to be announced on week on week yeah. fifteen, and we all know that week seventeen is all about competitiveness, so that gets announced two weeks ahead of time. You know, actually, I'm, I, I think the tickets actually have a star that says subject to flex time. Yes, they would be, so, yes. So, so I'm, not, I'm not sure that we didn't already have that. Let me just, looking around for a Ravens schedule here, I can't get No, I, I know, I do know that those last, what, four or five, four weeks are mm-hmm. all subject to flex time. Um, I guess we're just used to flexing in the prime time, and not, the New Year's Eve throws a wrinkle into it. Sure. And okay, well, I, you know, I understand. I'm just, you know, I think people who really wanted the Ravens in this position ought to be understanding, too, about the about the need to play for competitive reasons at a different time. And I, I get your point, and I, I don't want to uh, I don't want to belabor it further with, uh, right. with that. No, and all right, but let's get to some of these probabilities. Okay, so should the, 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 play, the Ravens have three different paths to get in. Of course, they have to win, or the Bills can lose to Miami. That gets them in. Or the Titans can lose to Jacksonville at home, which doesn't seem likely now, but that, that will also get them in. And if the probability of one of those three occurring, 92.9% based on how the gamblers are laying their money. So I've, I've assumed that all of these games are independent. You know, They've tried to make them independent by putting them at the same, right. game, the same time. I don't really believe they're completely independent because people will still look at the scoreboard at halftime and may see the Ravens up 20 to nothing or down 20 to nothing and that'll change how they play the game in the second half but they but it is presumed independence is 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 part of this now if the Ravens fail to win which they have an 80.7% chance according to the gamblers right now that's awfully high against a, a, a decent Bengals 80, team 80% a good, chance to win 80% chance to win okay um that that uh, they still have about a sixty three percent chance to make the playoffs, even if they lose. Right, cause if, because because yeah, yeah. Well, if they lose, then and if either the Bills or the uh, Titans lose, it doesn't matter. They still go on, right? That's correct. And neither the Bills or the Titans is that high a win probability. The Bills have about a fifty seven or fifty eight percent chance to win, and the Titans have about a fifty four percent chance to win. By the way, the Titans with a fifty four percent chance to win against the Jags would seem ridiculously high. But one of the things that's interesting about this, and I don't know how you get around this in terms of a competitive concern, is if you're Jacksonville, I think you might rather face the Titans just about any other team right now in terms of those playoffs. It's a risk to put them in, but. You, you, a lot of things happen. If you put them in, their draft situation gets worse, so that's a, a benefit to you. 
then they're the team you've also know how to beat and have beaten recently. And uh, of course, they did beat them early in the year, which would which would you know tell them to go the other direction. But they, but they at least be you know they'd be zero and two against the Titans, but they'd be a hell of a lot better than the Titans would be the way I would look at it. In any case, the the uh, they have that option if they want to. Uh, they could also face the Bills, who are you know certainly nothing special in terms of an opponent, uh, and they they can also. Uh, you know, face the Ravens, which would be the third chance. And so if the Bills and Titans were to both win, which would probably be good, then they wouldn't face the Ravens at all. They wouldn't have any risk to face right. the Ravens. So obviously I think Jacksonville would probably look at those three teams and say the Ravens are the toughest matchup, which really does, does the Ravens no favor uh, favors in terms of winning, um, uh, backing into the playoffs by one of the other two means. Right, because so, uh, right, then if you're the Jaguars, you're already in, so... And it doesn't hurt us if we lose this game. It doesn't hurt our outlook in the playoffs if we, if we let the Titans win this game. That's right. So, sure. That's right. So, yeah, you'd rather have the Titans and Bills in there. So, anyway, it is it is what it is. I, I really wish that Jacksonville was not locked in at the three spot right now. Even if they were playing for the 3-4 differential, that would be nice right now for in terms of them really wanting to beat the Titans. And that that number on the, on the probability of beating the Titans would probably be... 65% or 70% instead of 54, sorry, instead of 46 for them right. now. So, uh, you know, it's a big difference in that game. And the way that the, the way the Chargers fit into all of this is if Bills, Titans, and Ravens lose and the Chargers win, the Chargers sneak in? Yeah, the Chargers and need the Ravens? two losses. They need, they need the Titans. I guess Ravens, the, it doesn't matter. They need the yeah, Titans get, and the Bills to lose. They need the Titans and the Bills to lose. And then That's they right. would go in with the Ravens. That's right. Um, I think there is another way they can get in. If the Titans lose, they might beat the Bills out in a in a head to head. So okay. I know Buff, Buffalo has like the lowest percentage chance of the group to get in the playoffs, but the the Chargers cannot beat the Ravens in a in a um, tiebreaker. Right. Um. Okay. Is there anything else we got to look at uh, for this weekend before we we get to look back at at this ugly win with the Colts? No, we, I think we've beaten it to death, but, but uh, we'll be watching a lot of 4 o'clock football. The rest of the football, the rest of the day, will be all draft pick teams. And by the way, that's your alternative, folks. You could be all December doing what the Cleveland Browns is, worrying about only two games. Is one is making sure you lose and get the number one pick. And number two, making sure the Texans don't win a game because you own their top two picks. Right. So that's what December is like from a Cleveland Browns perspective. And the other thing you get as a Cleveland Browns fan is to lose to the hated Steelers tomorrow, quite possibly, and put a permanent black mark on the franchise with an 0-16 season. So a 4 o'clock game, I hope, is not sounding so bad right now. <laughs> right. I know or, across, I would say. or you could be playing at 4 o'clock and be the Bengals, who what you're playing for is the chance to knock someone out. There you go. That, that also would be awful. So, yeah. All right. Um, let's back up to Saturday. The, yeah. the Ravens-Colts 23-16 victory. Um. The Ravens played things, I guess, a little a little differently. It just didn't seem like it was it was working. Um, on the defensive side, what's with this unbalanced formations and not using the jumbo? Well, they're they okay. So the Ravens, in terms of their offensive line, have have tried a lot of different uh, things. So Marty Morningweg's a little bit of an alchemist in terms of trying different things on offense. 
Uh, he's tried some some split wide formations where they only have three linemen in the middle, and they'll have a lineman on the outside along with a tight end on either side to show a screen pass to either side or the possibility still of a run. Uh, and and he, he's done some very creative things to move linemen out of the out of the normal positions. But the one you're, we're seeing most often is the unbalanced formation. So just just talk about that for a minute. And I know people see it and they kind of wonder why are the Ravens doing this. Right. But what we'll, what we'll often see, you can be unbalanced left or unbalanced right. And if you're unbalanced either direction, it means you're putting both of your tackles on the same side. Okay, so it means that both Howard and Stanley are lining up on the same side. When that happens, they will tuck Howard and effectively make him into sort of a, sort of a guard on the play, and Stanley will always play on the outside. And then they'll only have one lineman to the other side of the center, when that's alignment on the left side, that'll be James Hurst, who plays left guard. And you can often tell what's going to happen on the play just by looking at how those guards, Hurst and Skura, uh, immediately move as the ball is snapped. If Hurst moves from left to right, it is almost certainly a run play that's being designed. Uh, that's usually that's a very standard power run formation where you have Jensen as your as then your left guy in the formation. You have a pulling guard coming across, and then you have Skura, Howard, Stanley to the right of that. It's a very strong power run formation. The Ravens used it a lot this year and been fairly successful. If they go the other direction, which means Skura pulls from that overbalanced right side, from that heavy right side to the left, that's usually a pass because Skura will pull and try and make a pass block. Uh, and it could be Hurst doing the same thing, of course, if there's an unbalanced left formation. But uh, I, I'm I'm surprised that other teams don't kind of key on that more, and that doesn't give something away to the linebackers. It kind of would give away the play action of the play once you see that pull, I would think. And they they know the linebackers, at least, and probably the safety as well, that they need to be in coverage if they see the if they see the guard pulling opposite the formation. So anyway, the Ravens do that a lot, and, and they've been fairly successful with the unbalanced line this year. Uh, I'm sure we'll see more of it, and, and it was a big deal. We've talked about this before in 2008 when Flacco was a rookie, and they had Willie Anderson on the team, who was the same kind of elephant plodding but still powerful right tackle, and they would like to cover him up with Jared Gaither. So uh, it was a, a another similar situation to have an Austin Howard on that right side. Um. All right. Is it when you're watching the film? Are you able to to pick up on what they're going to do based on that pool? Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I I didn't ever chart like how many times that's the way it exactly works. I could do that because it's all all that information's on our offensive line scoring sheets. But I, but I need to really go through it. Just I look at it and and basically every time they pull opposite the formation, it's pretty much a a, a pass. And every time they pull with the formation, it's it's a run. And you just you. It's very unusual to see exceptions to that, and I would just think that's exactly what the opposing team would be keying off to to try and determine what they want to do. Right. Um, I would. I guess with the Colts, you didn't see anything like that where it looked like they were picking up on it or understanding what the Ravens were doing. Is that something we need to be concerned about, or is that something that when you watch the film you see it, but live action as the game's going on, it's not quite as easy to pick up? Well, they clearly they see it less often um, when it happens. Uh, I'm looking at all these plays here, and there's not a pull every time. Um, we do actually have an, an, a, an, an occurrence of a pass 
where the pull went to the to the strong side too. So it doesn't happen every single time. But uh, yes, I think um, you know you 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 read the keys and and it's you if you read what's happening to that guard, it's probably still the best indicator of what the what the other team is doing. Okay. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about the linemen while we're on it and how they did with the Colts. And sure. um, the line is the only time when we're talking players where you, you, you like to go in order, not alphabetically. So yeah, if, you, I, if I, that's okay right. with you. No, I, I, I know you like things in alphabetical. <laughs> For the line, we, we, we go uh, left to right. And uh, let's start with Stanley. So Okay, so Ronnie Stanley, left tackle. Had uh, his second worst game of the year. Um, he, he had uh, Jabal Shield, uh, Jabal Sheard on his hands most of the day, and that guy wears what looks like armor on his uh, uh, chest. It looks like he's he very much wants to be protected against punches uh, as he as he plays. Uh, but anyway, he, he was constantly getting great bull pressure against Stanley, and uh, he he beat him. For a sack, uh, and in fact, what he did is Sheard got the initial pressure. He pushed Flacco way back. It was a 17-yard sack, and then Sheard eventually did not get the sack, but Mingo did following up. But that that sack still goes to Stanley since he created the initial flush and the the, the pressure that went with that. Um, there were three other pressures uh, in the game that he allowed to Sheard, and all of those started with a bull rush. So that's a problem with Stanley. When I'm looking at seeing Stanley first contacted by an offensive lineman, uh, I see a, a problem that it looks like he might still be hurt. And he's recoiling from the first contact differently than I would expect a lineman to do. It's almost like uh, you hit my shoulder and that's my, that's my arm that's in some pain. So anyway, um, I'm, uh, I'm hoping that, that Stanley is as fresh as he can be for this week because he's going to face a very tough battery of pass rushers against the Bengals. Right. Um, James Hurst. All right, so Hurst, we talked about what a great puller he's been all year, and, and he had a, uh, an odd occurrence here is that he pulled and had to make a pass block on Sheard, and he did not get it done. Sheard was beaten out Stott and got a, got a quarterback hit on the play. I gave two-thirds of it to him with a third going to Skura as well, so he got a minus two on that pull. That's very unusual. He still got six of the nine points on polls. He was eight out of nine on polls for the day, but because he lost points on the on the, the pass event, he only got six out of the nine points. He's now 64 of 80 on polls uh, over the last, since I think it's since week three. Uh, so he's doing very well, but uh, uh, this was a little bit of a, a, a negative event here. He did not have any other negative events the whole day. He had eight missed blocks. Um, and that was a variety of, of uh, types of misses. He was beaten on a couple plays, but mostly uh, he moved into level two and couldn't find a block. So, uh, you know, basically, very happy with the way Hurst has played. I think, you know, we've said week after week that, you know, if James Hurst could continue to play at this level, uh, you know, we'd be thrilled. But, uh, you know, he's one of the linemen now the Ravens have to really depend on and really depend on staying healthy through this playoff run uh, and not have to be moved out of that left guard spot. Yeah, that's an important guy. Uh, Jensen's the guy that every time I introduce him and, and set you up with him, I'm just praising the guy because I love watching him play. So he, again, had a great game. Yeah, he did. And, and you know, you love his physical play, I'm assuming, just the way he goes to, yes. goes after people. Yeah. Yes. I, I love that too. But <laughs> but uh, another A-minus game here. He had only 
uh, one negative event. It was, a, it was a quarter share of a penetration. I've seen something written this week that really is very true, is that the Ravens are not a particularly athletic line, so they're not a real good zone-blocking line. And that happens when you have a, when you have a tackle playing guard like Hurst, uh, even though he really is a guard. He's just not in the top tier of athleticism among guards. And then we have uh, Skura at, at right guard, um, who's similar. Jensen has uh, not the greatest level of mobility, although he's not terrible at it, certainly. And then you have Howard on the end, who's not mobile at all. Um, you're going to have some troubles, you know, moving and making a block off your shoulder and trying to prevent movement across your face, which requires reaching from the blockers. And... and you know, Jensen had one problem with such a block against Woods, the nose tackle, and he was unable to, to keep him at arm's length to his left as they uh, did a zone blocking play to the right, and that allowed a play to get blown up. Um, he didn't. It, it was it's one of these funny plays where Woods didn't actually make the play, but he, since he got into the backfield, the back had to redirect on the play, and that uh, that made it easy for somebody else to make the play. But otherwise, Jensen had a good game. He had six blocks, which is a lot for him and a lot for a center that he missed. But two of those were slips. Two of those were instances where he got into level two and couldn't find a block. And those are not as bad. And then two of them were times where he was beaten at the line of scrimmage by the guy opposite him. So uh, A- minus overall for Jensen, uh, another solid game. And uh, don't think he hurt his stock at all in free agency with this one. All right. Uh, is this the first A that you've given to Matt Skura? Best game of the year. So uh, I, I think he did have one other A, but this is his highest scoring game of the year. Uh, so terrific game. Um, he, he had only one quarter share of a penetration, and he only missed two blocks on the game. So that's uh, very good. Three blocks in level two. He had a pancake. He had a very nice combination block uh, early in the first quarter, which was a nice highlight. I like to see that. Um, and uh, had .95 per play before adjustment. And even though I didn't give him much of an adjustment for this game, and, and part of that is that the Colts did a lot of three-man rush, so he was in a lot of situations where he was a two-on-one blocker in pass protection. He still uh, is in the high 90s here and is an easy A um, in terms of uh, his grade. All right. Uh, these past five weeks, as the Ravens have suddenly turned this game around, Austin Howard has really turned his game around and has continued. It continued this week. Yeah, I mean, he's, he was. You're exactly right. He's on a tough run, and and these last five weeks, he has played very well. And uh, he uh, gave up two pressures in this game. He gave up another penetration and a half, one full one that he was charged to, where Hunt beat him. Marcus Hunt, who used to be a, a, on the Bengals, uh, Sheard beat him for a, for a, both a pressure and another case where he got into the backfield and had a pass defense. So he also gets charged for that. But uh, anyway, I, I thought Howard uh, you know, had a very good game. The nice thing about being a tackle is you're allowed to give up a couple pressures and even a couple other negative events. And because the, the, you're more likely to give up such events, the, the scoring system's more forgiving to you. Uh, he's, he got a B after adjustment in this game. And that's been right around where his average has been for these last five weeks. And if you'd asked me at the, regular, at the beginning of this season if Austin Howard could deliver a B average down the stretch for this team, you know, we'd have jumped on it in a heartbeat. You know, sure. my, my question at the beginning of the year was, should Hurst be playing right tackle and Howard be moved into guard? And I'm very glad that the Ravens coaches knew what they were doing and, and kept it the way they had it because it's really worked out. Right. Um, let's go behind the line and our 
few episodes ago when talking about really what turned this team around, it was the play of Joe Flacco. And as fans, we joke with the whole January Joe and how he, he turns it up at the end of the season, turns it up for the playoffs. And suddenly here we've got Joe stepping up again in December. Yeah, I mean, there's really nothing not to like about the way Joe Flacco is throwing the ball around. He's got, uh, if you want to just say the last five games, he's got seven touchdowns and one interception. A lot of people want to do that. That's actually the last four games as well. Eight and two since the bye, uh, a very reasonable thing. He hasn't had any game under a 72.5 passer rating since then. He's been over 100 twice, so he's in the 90s over the period. Uh, it's it's a That is a fantastic run and if he can play at that level in the playoffs that'll be good enough to get the Ravens a very give the Ravens a very good chance to win some games so uh love for that to be the way of it and uh, Joe has played I believe he's had 24 touchdown passes and only four interceptions in his last however many playoff games that took uh, is it, it's more than six, but I don't remember how many more than six it is because six takes you back to the beginning of 2012. Right. But, uh, you know, been a great playoff quarterback, and, you know, he's heating up at just the right time to do it again. All right. Um, as, as Flacco's been heating up, it seems like Collins has been cooling down. Yeah, good point. I mean, he hasn't played that well. He's only had 19 yards against Cleveland in 12 carries and then 18 for 51 this week. So um, some of that is the offensive line. Collins had gotten a lot of his yards after contact, particularly against the Steelers when he had 120 yards. He got 95 after contact yards in that game. Um, of these last 70 yards that he's gotten, he probably has gotten a fair amount after contact, and the Ravens are not getting him a lot of level two opportunities. That needs to change at against Cincinnati. But the other thing that needs to change, I think, is that Collins needs to be willing to follow uh, inside opportunities better. Now, they're calling a lot of outside stretch runs where Collins has an opportunity to decide on the hole he picks, and Collins' strategy just seems to be go as far as you can to the right and wait for that blocking to take care of itself and then try and beat somebody on the edge. It's just it, always his preferred area to run. Don't have a problem with it tremendously because he's got speed, but it also, if the defense always knows that they can, the te- what your tendency is going to be and they can stretch you out, that's also going to give them an advantage. So we need Collins to take advantage of more of those inside level opportun- two opportunities where he can then make one cut in level two, beat a linebacker, and then get one-on-one with that safety and see if he can break a tackle. So uh, I, I want to see more of that from him, of, of better following of blocks. Right. It seems like when they want to do that inside run and truly stick to it, that's when they're bringing in Buck Allen. And that, that Buck Allen's that inside guy. Yeah, they do. When, they, when they're closing out a game, they, they do exactly that. They, they also do it in short yardage a lot when they play the pony backfield. And we talked a little bit about this, but this is in, in the most common form. Well, it's actually got several different forms, but the most common form probably is Allen at fullback and Collins at tailback. And then they threaten the pitch, and sometimes they run that, and they also will run a straight-ahead dive play with Collins often on, on short yardage. And never really does Collins, or, sorry, does, does Allen ever block for Collins in that situation. It's usually an either-or play, whether they pitch it or they, or they go for the dive play. So it's been very effective. Uh, can't argue with it. And it's probably been more effective even than just trying to make Ricard make a lead block for Collins just because I think you have to really assign more defenders to the edge to try and keep Collins contained on a pitch play. So they've they've kind of figured out that that it's a that it's a better 
exchange of personnel to run that pony backfield and, and, and do those dive plays with Allen. Right. So Collins has stepped up and taken over the, the number one slot for, for running back. Uh, but Buck Allen has been having a good couple weeks uh, working with them. What is Terrence West doing? And was he just on the team? Was he just on the roster this past week as an emergency backup in case after Collins showed a little injury prone? Well, he was the fourth running back, and I think maybe the way that the the Ravens are looking at it is they didn't have a, a their full set of wide receivers because of the Macklin injury. Right. And so they may have been thinking that the guy we need to have as a receiver in this game is Woodhead. So we can't okay. really treat him as a running back. We need Woodhead as a wide receiver. Now, West didn't get any carries, didn't get on the field. He doesn't make any special teams contribution that I'm aware of. I do not believe, no, he did not play a special team snap in this game. So, uh, you know, you're down to a player who doesn't do anything else except run the ball, and you can't really afford to have that. So I think this week with uh, Adebojo uh, on the roster, uh, elevated, I think he'll be the quote-unquote emergency receiver. I actually expect him to play a fair amount and then uh, see if uh, uh, Terrence West is inactive again is what I would expect. Right. Um, Attaboy Joe, does making him active and adding him to the roster, does that mean Macklin's not going to play this week? I don't think he's playing this week. We'll, we'll see, but just all the indications. He didn't practice today. I don't, I don't anticipate that he'll be uh, uh, active. This, this move stinks of Macklin not being around because they basically lost a cornerback, Hill, and right. they're replacing him with the wide receiver. So I know they need the what they talked about needing the special teams replacement and whatnot. But this this is it looks to me like Macklin might be lost and might be lost for more time depending on how serious that was. Gotcha. Can we do any shady IR stuff like the Packers? <laughs> what do they do the, I, with uh, with Aaron Rodgers? Where they they pulled Aaron uh, they pulled Aaron Rodgers out off, let him play a game, and then on. Uh, and then they waited till Tuesday when they saw that they were out of out of contention, and then they put him back on the IR. Well, the same original injury. I, 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 we could put Macklin on IR, but then you can't use him right. the rest of the no, year. No, I so, know. Yeah. Um, there's just there's some a lot of uh, apparently some other teams are upset with how the Packers uh, did that and said it's against IR rules. Oh really? So, no, I'm not. A, yeah. I'll have to research that. That's yeah, a, look into a, it because it's funny because yeah. if it's true that the way they did it is against IR rules. The actual punishment for breaking the the IR rules is you're supposed to release the player. And so, <laughs> well, so that ain't happening, <laughs> right? There's no way we're in a situation where the NFL is going to tell the Packers you have to release Aaron yeah. Rodgers. Yeah, I guess I guess they so could it's, get a it's a funny situation draft pick or something, right? Um, all right. So and clearly, if we lose, we hit, we still have a spot to, shot to get in. So what you really want is Macklin for uh, whatever week 18, the first week of playoffs. That's right. That's right. So they'll, they'll want him for that. And right now, if you look at that second wide receiver spot, it is wide open. And literally any receiver could get hot right now, and it could, it could be exciting. So right. I, Adebojo is as good a chance as anybody. He could, he could become the major red, red zone threat. A lot of people may remember him from preseason, but the guy's big. He's 6'3", 200. He's the biggest receiver the Ravens have uh, uh, now, so it's, it, it wouldn't be shocking if he all of a sudden became a red zone target. They've got tight ends that are bigger, but uh, he, he uh, uh, could become the over the middle guy. They start going to Campanero could could get, take up a bigger role. It's not hard to imagine. Or Wallace kind of has a set role and he's been playing pretty well, but they haven't expanded his catches to tw- twelve or right. targets to twelve per game or anything. So right, true. I, We've seen Moore show a little bit of confidence in in yeah. the way he plays. So perhaps Sam. Um, 
Attaboy Joe, is he going to – you think he's going to get some plays as wide receiver? He's not just going to be a special teams guy this week? Yeah, I, I think he will play at wide receiver. I think the Ravens have too much riding on building a receiver core for the playoffs. And, you know, we, we've, we haven't talked about one guy. I think we've got a mailbag question on it, and we'll get to that later. But Attaboy Joe is probably – be the best bet along with more to step up with increased number of targets per game. So Attaboy Joe's at zero right now. Uh, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Attaboy Joe all of a sudden went to five targets per game. And and Moore is at probably four or five targets per game right now. It wouldn't shock me if he went to nine targets per game. Right. Uh, but of course, the guy who's on the roster that we haven't mentioned in all these, this guy could step up and be the go-to guy, Richard Perriman. No, I, I do not see that as being the way. I You know, it's not impossible. It's Brashad Perryman could be in there. He could get thrown a couple deep balls. He could make catches like he did at the beginning of last year that excited us so much about what was going on with him in year two, you know, coming back and, and you know, looking like he might have been worth the first-round pick. But it's I think it's less likely. I think there's, there's less trust there going on now. And Joe would have to, uh, you know, get over a barrier – of throwing a ball up for him, even even a jump ball. So uh, I, I don't think it's likely. Right. Oh, we'll find out. This is if this is the week to prove that that Joe can trust you when it really matters in the following week in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, it's, you know what? What Brashad really needs to do? He probably needs to catch a slant pass and go sixty yards with it. You know, doing something like that. Anything where he makes a big play in the open field when he's gotten the ball quickly. They execute a rub properly, and, and all of a sudden he makes a big play. It's not impossible, and, and if it did, it's the kind of thing to build a lot of trust with Flacco. Sure, and, that, and that's what we've been talking about all season is, these, is Joe learning to trust these wide receivers because they made it really hard in that first half to trust anyone. Sure. Um, all right, uh, let's wrap this game up with the offensive MVPs. I don't have any this week, so we're going with your three for this week. Okay, I'll go my number three guy is Ryan Jensen. You know, had a good game at center. The Ravens, oh, they so need him to step forward and develop or deliver the physical tone for the Cincinnati game because the, the Bengals really like to rush for and drop everybody else into cover. And when they've done that successfully and the four-man rush is beating the Ravens line, Flacco has just had a miserable time throwing a lot of interceptions against Cincinnati in the past. This is a game where they, the line needs to hold up in pass protection, and in order to do that, they're going to have to be effective at play action and continually threaten the Bengals with the run game. So Jensen is the most key guy probably in terms of uh, setting that tone and making sure combination blocks get made at the line of scrimmage that are effective and uh, and uh, get the run game started. All right, when it's time to buy my Super Bowl jersey, it'll be the Jensen jersey. With the All Super Bowl right. patch. That's where I'll go. Who's your number two? Okay, well, I'll go with Matt Skura. Great game. Uh, and, and his best game of the year certainly deserves to be in the top three. And honestly, there aren't that many choices on offense that look that good among the skill position players. Skura's my number two guy this week. All right. And uh, your number one guy who the, the announcers were praising this guy even during the game, saying he was doing a good job. Yeah. He had a, uh, Joe Flacco is my number one guy, and he did not have the greatest statistical game, but he's doing what the Ravens need him to do. He had two touchdowns, no interceptions. That's the great part. He threw for 6.24 yards per attempt, and when you subtract out that 17-yard seven yard sack, he's under six yards per attempt. That's not where the Ravens need him to be. Uh, it's, it's barely what he's averaged on the season, which is bad at 5.85 yards per attempt. But uh, he's... 
doing the right things to not lose the Ravens the game. And in the end, it was the defense that, that won this uh, won the game for the Ravens, despite the fact the offense played okay. It was the defense that didn't allow a touchdown either of those last two drives and really deserves the credit for, for closing this one out. And the offense gave him some help, but, uh, but uh, Joe did not lose the game. I love Joe the game manager. Joe doesn't seem to like Joe the game manager. Right. Joe wants <laughs> to throw the ball. About, yeah, he wants to throw the ball. And and hopefully he he'll he'll have the chance to do that in the playoffs and not have it have it coming as a result of they have to catch up. Right. Sure. I like the Joe the playoff quarterback MVP Joe. Yeah. That's the Joe I like. The Joe that does not turn the ball over and makes big plays to help the team win. Uh, let's get to the film study mailbag. You can send in your questions on Twitter. Just tag them with the hashtag film study mailbag, and we'll get to them each uh, each episode. I was going to say Monday and Wednesdays, but with the uh, the schedule shifts around and the playoffs, who knows what days it'll actually be upcoming. Yeah, I mean, that's probably that's one of the first mailbag question. First mailbag question comes from at film study Raven saying, why are the Ravens again going to get screwed with a with a Saturday playoff game? And just you know it's going to happen. They'll, they'll go to Kansas City, and I'm sure that'll be the Saturday Saturday early game. All right. Well, let, let's start it there. Let's start it with my question from at Josh Soroka that says, "It looks like we're going to face the Chiefs. Who would you rather the Ravens face, the Chiefs or the Jags?" Oh, Chiefs for sure. The Jaguars are one of the most dangerous teams in the AFC. I, I want their defensive line to get a shot at Brady or Roethlisberger, which means they'll have to take care of Buffalo or Tennessee or perhaps the Chargers. But uh, the Ravens, if if they don't win this week, are making it a lot harder on themselves, even if they can't back in, because they'll they're likely will drop to the sixth seed if that happens. Uh, see, I totally disagree. I wanna I wanna face the Jaguars because I feel better about facing a team without playoff experience with a quarterback that I feel like we can rattle. I feel like the Chiefs were asking for a shootout and we're asking for our offense to take care of things. It, it, you know, you, it's reasonable. It's a soft defense, though, in Kansas City, and Flacco has shown some ability to keep the offense on the field. I just feel like that's what really drove that team to the win in 2010 at Kansas City. They kept the offense on the field for most of the game. In the fourth quarter, the defense put together one of the most amazing streaks of about 20 defensive plays that you'll ever see, intercepting the ball. You know, Their, their longest gain was for three yards in the stretch of plays. Uh, it, it was a really... Uh, Dominant win, thirty to seven. Then they really only had one play—a long run from Jamal Charles at that time. Uh, you know, this Chiefs team—it's not built that dissimilarly. They're still a fairly weak defensive unit that has a little bit of pass rush on the outside, but is otherwise does not have a lot uh, at most of the positions other than the one cornerback slot. So I think that, that they're a team that can be can be had through the air. All right. Uh, hopefully we can get Devil next week to talk about some battle plans looking into this game That'd because be it is it is I am concerned about the fact that the Chiefs can run and throw the ball and we our defense sometimes has trouble with with stopping both. Um, let's get to everyone else's questions and we can leave the playoffs for uh, next week. Uh, first question in comes from Mr. Ed. What is the success rate in the two tight end set without Watson? Okay, so that means when they have Boyle and Williams in the game, well, right. both those guys are good blockers, and they've used them in a couple different ways. They sometimes they put them both on the same side when they're when they're really trying to run the ball. You'll see it more commonly that they'll each be on different sides and offset when they want to throw the ball. And that, the reason they do that is to try and chip on both sides. So they'll they'll have 
each tight end try and chip to make it a little easier for Stanley and for Howard to keep their guys squared up uh, and uh, and help those guys with the with the pass rush. But they they're not trying to take on that block themselves. They're definitely trying to assist the linemen when you see them split like that and offset. Um, but they often will will run the two on one side when they do that. It's probably more commonly a run. They can't pass out of it. And you notice that both those guys, Boyle and uh, Williams, they've almost not been used this year in terms of the passing game. They've got very few targets between the two of them. Even in Max Williams' breakout game this last week, he had two catches for, what, about six yards, I think it was. So uh, I think he's targeted four times. Let's, let's go look at it really quickly here. Yeah, so Max Williams was targeted three times, two receptions for six yards, his long of four, and a TD. All right. Uh, next question is from Tony Thornton, the uh, traffic guy over at 92Q. And he wants to know, I know Jeremy Macklin is dealing with a nagging injury, but he has not had the kind of production we expect. Does this mean we will see more of Perriman moving forward, or will they continue to limit his snaps? Yeah, I, I, I really don't know. Again, I think it's, it's wide open as to who could step forward. Perriman would be a less likely one, in my opinion. But, you know, it's one of these things where he certainly has the breakaway ability to make some big play happen if you're getting level two. We've seen him do it before. So, you know, maybe they'll continue to try and run some slants with him, see if they can, they can get a rub route going where he actually catches the ball in space and, and has some room to make a play. I uh, appreciate the question, Tony, and thanks for uh, thanks for following. Also, all right, uh, same same concept with the wide receivers from Ola Dinikin, who asks: Should the Ravens sign Jeremy Curlin? We saw that he was in town this week, uh, or stick with the receivers they already have? Okay, well, I don't. I'm not sure those are the only two options, but given those only two options, I, I really do not have any interest in signing Jeremy Curley. Um, there's a few things about Curley that are just very squirrely. Um, number one is he's coming off a suspension, so that's not good. Number two is he's really not taking any responsibility for the suspension. In fact, you probably heard Josh, but he suggested that there was a ghost involved somehow with his with his test. Uh, I you believe not heard that. I have not heard that, but I would not put it past it. Those ghosts can be tricky. <laughs> yeah, well, the ghost of Christmas past, and you know, I I, I don't want to misinterpret what he's saying because I think there's at least several ways to look at that. One is he really believes in ghosts. Okay, he, I don't want him if that's the case. Number two is he he is trying to use light language against a past incident that he really has no part of anymore, in which case it's part of not taking responsibility for the thing. And number three, he's saying, I, everything I put in my mouth was fine as far as I knew, which is what a lot of players say, and they, they end up with some sort of undetected substance. you got to take responsibility for that as well. So regardless of what the reason, or at least of those three that I can think of, I need a better explanation for him of why this happened before I'd sign him. I'm sure the Ravens, when they brought him in to work him out, by the way, did ask him that question. Now, that only covers the, the whole drug test stuff. Right. The other stuff is who Jeremy Curley is as a receiver. He's a 5'9 receiver, so, and he's also a kick returner, punt returner. So already you should be thinking Campanero because he really duplicates a lot of what Campy brings to this team. So it's not like you're getting a new type of weapon. You've got another of the same weapon who does a lot of the same things. He's not going to take Campanero's punt return snaps away. Campy's been too good at that. Um, he's he's not going to. There's no reason why he should become the new jet sweep guy just because 
they have them available when they've got Campy also. He's caught 22 of 27 balls this year, 81.5%. That's an impressive total for a wide receiver, but it's completely the opposite of the rest of his career, where his catch rate is under 60%. So I'm, I'm not buying it in terms of his value right now, and I, I have no interest in Jeremy Curley. All right, then let's bring Minion Hunter into the conversation, who says, what about Steve Smith Sr.? I love Minion Hunter. He has some good questions. I think he's probably joking with that one. I mean, Steve Smith Sr. has been on the air. I don't think he's joking. (laughs) Well, we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I I don't think it's a realistic possibility. I mean, he's... He's, uh, there's no reason to believe he's in game shape uh, or ready to go now. He is a ball of muscle, and he could probably come back on the field and still be a tough guy with 10 extra pounds. But my guess is he's probably got a few extra pounds right now and, and would need an offseason at this point to get back in playing shape. Right. Could Jim Palmer come back and pitch for the Orioles? Well, he tried once, didn't he? Uh, he did. He, didn't, yeah. he did not succeed. Yes. Um, all right. Jeff Call Jr. asks, other than Joe Flacco, Whose health do you think is the most crucial for a potential playoff run? You know, that's a great question. I didn't even see that one until you just mentioned it now. That's a great question. If you had to rank them, let's, let's, let's go through this. I think Ronnie Stanley's health is probably the most critical because the Ravens don't have anyone to replace him at tackle, and we've seen that already. And their replacement scheme has been to move Hurst to left tackle, which means you put someone else at guard who's not nearly as good as Hurst. So you, you kind of downgrade two positions. So in terms of the offense, I'd say he is the guy who is most critical for the playoff run. On the defense, I'd say it is still Mosley, based on the team's lack of other talent and Mosley's now current emergence at inside linebacker. Although now the Ravens are starting to get thin at cornerback, and I might almost say that Marlon Humphrey would also be sure. another guy they cannot afford to lose. So they've got a, they've got quite a few players. You got another offensive player? No. You, I, you got anyone, Josh? Uh I'm thinking. Well, I'm thinking center of these lines. I'm thinking Jensen's yeah. very important, and then on the other side of the ball, Brandon Williams. We saw when he was not playing how much uh, we got ran over. I, I can't argue with either of those. I think those are all both both excellent uh, uh, points to make too. Hey, you know, could they could they do it without Suggs? I, I don't think they really could. I don't think they'd be able to get by without Suggs. So uh, you know, there's, there's a, there are quite a few players that you can't lose. I can't lose any of them without losing a lot. But I, some of these two-for-one position guys are the one that, that that bother me the most. Right, right. All right, Ken McCusick, let's have people going over to Russell Street Report. Yeah, they, you can you go over to Russell Street Report, look for the material film study, and it's got a lot of quarter-in-time references. I, I mentioned this once, of, once every while during the season, but the, the point of the articles is to give you the quarter-in-time references so you can go out and look on NFL Game Pass and go through play-by-play and see if I'm full of crap in terms of what I'm describing in terms of the plays. But whatever, I'm trying to be transparent about the way I'm scoring offensive line play. You guys should take a look at it if you feel like it and try and follow along. Maybe just see what I'm saying or maybe try and call me out on some things as uh, as Austin Howard has so far this year. And uh, and you can follow me on, on Twitter at Film Study Ravens. We've got a sister show, very important to us. Yep. Josh, uh, tell us about that. My show, Section 336, has a brand new episode that just came out tonight. Uh, or actually, it'll probably come out about 30, 40 minutes after this episode. So if you're listening to this in the morning, uh, both shows are available. So you, you should go subscribe to Section 336 as well. It's still the Orioles off season, So we've been talking about that. And did they screw it up with Manny Machado? And get this, Buster Olney wrote an article uh, day after Christmas, I believe it came out, where he suggested perhaps Ryan Flaherty could pitch. Now, Ryan Flaherty's not an Oriole right now. He's a free agent. But uh, after the Angels signed uh, 
the guy from Japan whose name I'm blanking on right now, who is yeah, a pitcher, Otani, a pitcher who can also is going to DH on days that he's not pitching. Buster wrote an article about how we might see this from other some other players, and we've heard the Orioles organization toy with this idea with Daryl Alvarez, who they're convert, trying to convert an outfielder to a pitcher mm-hmm. and let him DH when he's not pitching. Uh, but Buster only used Ryan Flaherty as an example of a guy who might be able to do this, and it I was mean, just it's, weird. It's 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 beyond weird because you have to sign the guy obviously to some sort of deal to get him going. He won't cost a lot of money, but it's a multi-year project. It's not a one-year project. Right. He's going to need a year in the minor leagues to figure this out and see if he can do it. Uh, they did they did change Gibbons was a shortstop yes. turned pitcher. Yes. So it's not it's not like it's unheard of, and it has happened at the major league level before. Mel Queen and Bobby Darwin in the '60s and '70s, respectively, were guys who did it. So it's it's not like it's never happened. It's just it's rarely successful. Right. I think would be a fair way to put sure. it. Sure, and it is interesting to think of it as a guy. Not I'm not going to convince. I'm not going to switch Flaherty into a starting pitcher. But if he's suddenly the mop up guy, <laughs> and if it's a blowout, if it's a uh, 15 to 1 game and there's no way I just got to protect the bullpen putting in Flaherty in there for three innings I can understand right so you, you're talking about a, a really a much larger bullpen I, you want to make him into a long reliever I want to you want to get 20, 25 innings a year out of I want to save a spot in the bullpen where I don't need a mop up guy I can have another specialty guy and my mop up guy also is a utility guy Okay, so you have a utility infielder slash pitcher, and he gives you 25 innings a year by pitching in 12 games, let's say, and get some games over with when right. you're down 8-1. to one. Right, he goes in when it's pretty meaningless. And, mm-hmm. and if he blows out his arm, it's Ryan Flaherty. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's not going to destroy your bullpen. Uh, overall, I don't think you'll be having Ryan Flaherty on your show anytime soon after a comment like that, but sure. <laughs> I, you know what, I'd love to have Ryan Flaherty on anytime, <laughs> no matter what team he's on. I like the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just a weird, weird article to come out from a national writer like that. Yeah. So we talked about that and uh, a lot about Dan Duquette, Manny Machado, and how they're handling this situation. So uh, that's out now on Section336.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at Josh Taroka. Highly recommend it. Love that show, and uh, uh, can't see enough good things about it, Josh. Yeah, uh, that show, it, it's the off season, but that show's still going in, in full force, and... Uh, it's, it's how, how long have you episodes. been doing that show, by the way? Just give them a, an idea, because it's been a, several years now, right? Uh, this season will be our fifth season, I believe, of covering the Orioles uh, coming up. We Today was episode number 248, I believe, and we haven't we, we missed one week. That, uh, that playoff game a year and a half ago when Zach, when Zach Britton stayed in the bullpen, Yeah, right. uh, we were supposed to record the next day, and we were also a little too upset to record. That's you know, I can understand that completely. So we took that week off. But besides that, it's been going strong. And for people out there, it, it, for somebody to do 248 podcasts, I mean, this this show we've been doing for two years now, and we're only up to about, what, about 50? 50 or 55, 60 podcasts? Uh, yeah, mean, we're, we're 50, 60. Yeah. yeah so so it's, it's a, that is a large commitment, and, and uh, Josh and his brother and brother-in-law have been doing it for a long time. Yeah, here's another reason to subscribe to our show instead of just catching it every now and then. Subscribe because we started these things two weeks ago called 336 Minis, which are when there's some news about the Orioles or something that Matt and I, because we're brothers, we talk off mic often. If there's something that we find that we start talking about with the Orioles, we pause and we hop online and we record a 10, 15-minute episode about one topic Mm -hmm. that we're into. 
So uh, the first one came out is I had the chance to talk with Cedric Mullins. So we did that. The next one was Zach Britton uh, tore his, his whatever, something in his leg. And we immediately hopped on and talked about that and how the Orioles should handle that. So uh, that's a new thing that we're doing and we're trying to do once a week where we hop online and talk for about 10 minutes about one topic. That, that sounds like a lot of fun, Josh. Anytime you'd like to have me on that, I'd love to be. All right. Sounds good, Ken. Uh, plus, we're, we're talking curling now. So so we've got that coming up as we get ready for the Olympics. No, that sounds like a lot of fun. And I, I don't want to spoil the, the, the party on that, but uh, that does sound like a lot of fun. <laughs> we, we might need a fourth player. I'm trying to figure that out, Ken. You might All be right. getting a call uh, pulling, pulling you up to the curling team. Well, James, I'm James Harrison right now. I'm a free agent, and my last team has, has, uh, has gotten rid of me because of declining skills and age, so, uh, so I'm available. You're, you're not selling yourself well, Ken. <laughs> you're not selling yourself. you got to talk about how you're the veteran uh, that can be the guy there to really lead the team. There is not a single better curler in my household. I can tell you that. Have you ever curled? No, I have never. All right, so you've got as much experience as the rest of us, but we're all excited <laughs> to try it out. I'm happy to embarrass myself, too. That's another quality I have. So ah, James Harrison doesn't mind doing that either. <laughs> so, All right, Ken. Enjoy your weekend. Uh, have a good New Year's, uh, and we'll talk in 2018. Looking forward to it. Take it easy, Josh. Bye. Bye. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool Washer with industry-first 2-in-1 removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.